Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Ava, Jesse Romero. I've got my partner back. Uh, good to see you, Jesse. Aloha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ruben, I was in Hawaii uh, for seven days. Uh, speaking at a Catholic church in the evening, in the morning, while well, you know, just kind of took a little, little vacation time and just rented a car and went around the island. Yeah. But it's good to be back. Yeah. It's good to be back because here's where I belong. You're making me look like a weddle. <laughs> you got that sun, that, that glow to you. That's good. All right. Hey, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about today, Ruben. Uh, we want to talk about this brave young man who thwarted a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about the National Samoran Pontifical Pilgrimage. We're also going to profile, a, uh, what, what's a liberal, a Catholic liberal? We, we got uh, two short little clips where we're going to play so you can hear a malformed Catholic liberal for yourself. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Catholic charities. Ruben got a great article mm-hmm. that blew me away that showed uh, a lot of the nefarious things happening within Catholic charities. So we want to expose that as well. Then we want to talk at the end, Ruben, about what is a man? What is real masculinity? Awesome. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, by the way, you, you met the the Brotherhood of St. Dismas over the weekend. Uh, those are some good Catholic men. They're based out of Orange County, but they're all over the, uh, California. Yeah, this one's this one's group is out at uh, St. Holy Innocence in Long Beach, and it's a it's a really conservative parish. They do the yeah. Latin Mass with Father Peter Irving out there, Father, uh, what's his name, Robert McDowell, I believe it is, and uh, and then we also had Father Jacob Benovertine who does Latin Mass out there too for uh, different parishes. Uh, he he gave a talk as well on, on the whole talk was on masculinity, uh, you know, and. It was, toxic, toxic masculinity. No, it was on true masculinity. <laughs> Amen. And it was just just a, a wonderful weekend. Um, we got to have mass there, and uh, just the, just the association with like minded brothers, some young on fire Catholics. I mean, we're talking young Jesse. These are yeah. young guys, teenagers, and and in their <laughs> early twenties. And and I mean, they're way ahead of, of where I was at that age. So you know why, Ruben? What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. People sense. You know, we have a, a there's something built into our our soul. It's called a census for day, because of the sacraments. We know, we know, uh, we can sense danger. We we can also sense God's presence and grace. People sense right now, Ruben, that we're living in very very precarious times, and so I think a lot of you know even young people are saying, hmm, uh, it's time to get close to the Lord. Right now, it's not time to play church, mm-hmm. and I think people are just sensing that. As a result of the bad politicians, bad church leadership, uh, evil people around the world, like the you know the World Health Organization, Fauci, uh, the CCP, and others, people just sense that right now is not a time to be playing church. You better be taking your faith serious. Amen. Yeah. So let's talk about this young man. Talk, yeah. Uh, this Get right into it. Indiana. There was a, a 22-year-old Alicia uh, Dickin, and or Elisha Dick, and he he was praised for shooting and stopping. Uh, a mass shooter in Indiana's Greenwood Paul Mar- uh, Park Mall. This was probably about a month ago. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he reported that he was carrying his handgun. He had he was he had a, a license to carry, and uh, the, the uh, in the food court, 
the uh, this terrorist he, he shows up at 556 walks out of the bathroom and and uh, Dickens responded by opening fire on the attacker and uh, the attacker tried to run for cover as Dickens fired at him but but it collapsed to the floor fatally injured from at least one of Dickens rounds in another article that I p- pulled up Jesse it, it actually describes more it was probably done after the fact after this article was written because it it says that uh, Dickens uh, he gave permission for authorities to release his name, age, and hometown, but he declined wow. to speak publicly about the shooting as he continued to process what occurred. Yeah, when you, you have to take someone's life, it's not just, this, you know, if you're a well-grounded individual, you know, a person of goodwill, you're you're, you're going to be traumatized by by doing that when it when it when it all stops and and you get a chance to reflect on it. It's it's very tragic. So the police were saying um, that. On my, they explained that during the shooting, it started. They 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 initially said that it, that he stopped him two minutes after the fact. But the truth of the matter, and they looked at cameras, is that um, they made a correction on it. They said uh, there was an error in the timeline events, and the time lapse between the moment that Jonathan Sapperman, that's the suspect, exited the restroom and began shooting, and when he was shot by civilian Elijah Dickin, was only fifteen seconds, not two minutes. Wow. The surveillance video shows Sapperman exited the restroom at 5.56.48 p.m. He was neutralized by Dickin at 5.57.03. And it was just a simple error of misreading notes during the conference. And he says this, this, the chief says that this uh, kid was heroic. He engaged the gunman from quite a distance with a handgun. Wow. He was very tactically sound as he moved to close in on the suspect. He was also motioning for people to exit behind him, and he has no police and training, no military background. And he, this is what blew me away. He explained that Dickens' first shot at the gunman was from 40 to 50 yards away, and it, it appeared that the very first shot hit the gunman. Dickens was able to hit the gunman with additional rounds. On Tuesday, the Johnson County coroner, Mike Pruitt, said an autopsy found the suspect had eight gunshot wounds and none were self-inflicted. Dickin was carrying a 9mm Glock, according to Eisen, and after confirming the shooter was no longer a threat, Dickin approached the mall security and cooperated with officers, according to Eisen. He was handcuffed and questioned by officers, but released upon verification of his actions via surveillance video. And, uh, wow. It's right. And it says, Ruben, that his grandfather taught him to shoot. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, what a, what, a, what a great story. Again, this is a p- typical, or this is the classic example of self-defense, or the church also says that we have a duty uh, to to help not only defend ourselves, we we can defend ourselves from an unjust aggressor, but we can also defend those around us as well. That's also civil law, by the way, Ruman. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good Samaritan law. What he just did, and that's why this guy not only will he not ever be prosecuted, he's probably going to get a gold plaque from the city and from the chief of police one of these days. Because uh, that this is the epitome of a good Samaritan. Talk about, <clears throat> he could have just walked away, said, I got a gun. This guy's not going to do nothing, nothing to me. I'll, I'll just take off and go to my car. You know, let, let him shoot other people. No, he put himself in harm's way. And he helped innocent people that were unarmed, that would have got taken out. Right. It's, and in Indiana, I guess this is something I didn't know. Beginning July 1st, carrying a handgun no longer required a permit. So I just guess if you're not a felon, uh, you have the right to possess one. And... And I would say to anyone listening that that make sure you're proficient with your with your your handgun. I don't just think you can just buy it, you know, and 
and then and when you need it, you, you, you're, this kid's obviously proficient, Ruben. Yeah, you you yeah, you've got to. Yeah, this guy's going to target practice often. You can tell somebody who who isn't proficient would put other people in harm's way because his ROMs would be going missing the target and yeah. could hitting bystanders in the back. And I mean, you know, from this the guy put eight rounds on the bad guy from forty yards away. This yeah. guy's amazing. Yeah, but he kept closing, so he, he you know he was. Yeah, he kept walking closer to him, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Ruben, talk to us about uh, the. Uh, the National Samorum Pontificum Pilgrimage. What's going on with that? Well, the, this is uh, something that uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski posted, and uh, he wants to sound the alarm. And we've had the, Dr. Peter on the show, and he posts a lot of traditional uh, websites. And and uh, he, see, he puts out that the National Samorum Pontifical Pilgrimage for the restoration of the Latin Mass is going to be held in Arlington, Virginia, and they're going to take a walk to Washington, D.C., Saturday, September 17th, 9 a.m. It's going to be a two-hour procedure uh, because it's about five miles on that walk, that pilgrimage. The, the major event has been planned at the capital of the U.S. for Saturday, September 17th at 9 a.m. The National Samorum Pontificum Pilgrimage for the Restoration of the Traditional Latin Mass will begin at the Cathedral of St. Thomas More in Arlington, Virginia, and end at the Cathedral St. Matthew the Apostle, Washington, D.C., a distance of about five miles. And it's because both of those those cathedrals have been doing the Latin Mass and is going to be shutting them down. Um, mm. And the date was chosen both because Saturday the 17th is nearest to the Saturday to the 15th anniversary of the going into effect of Samoran Pontificum. The motu proprio Pope Benedict the 16th that liberated the traditional Latin Mass for all Latin Rite Catholics, and because the restrictions in the two dioceses go into effect on September 8th for Arlington, the 21st for D.C., in response to the cruel and unjust restrictions being placed on the celebration of the Usus Anticor in the Archdiocese of Washington and the Diocese of Arlington, as well as in many other places throughout the world, we will go on pilgrimage in a public act of sorrow for the destruction of the Western liturgy, patrimony, and in support of its full immediate restoration and there's a website you can go to www.tlmpilgrimage.com, and there's also a Facebook event and Twitter page. Let's make this a huge pilgrimage with as many as hundreds or even thousands of faithful as possible. It's a perfect opportunity to show that we exist and we will not be going away, regardless of such unpastoral decrees. And you know, it, it just reminds me that Pope Benedict. You know, he said one of the things he said in that accompanying letter to Samorum Pontificum. You, you told me that 25 years ago. What you're, what you're about to read, I remember you and me having talks about this, and you quoted that to me 25 years ago. So you've been on top of this for a long time. Well, he just all by the grace of God, I'll tell you. Um, he said, "What earlier generations held as sacred remains sacred and great for us too." And uh, Dr. Peter. Uh, says that if you want a church full of Catholics who know their faith, love their faith, and practice their faith, give them a liturgy that is demanding, profound, and rigorous. They will rise to the challenge. And Jesse, you and I have been saying that on this show. That's the reason we, we, we put this show together, is to yeah. build Catholics, especially men, up Amen. in their faith. Absolutely. Good yeah. stuff, Ruben. Dr. Peter Krasniewski is uh, definitely one of the, the, the great voices for the TLM movement around the country. Hey, up next, uh, we're going to talk, we're going to play two clips, uh, one of a malformed priest and one of of a malformed lay Catholic, and uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Catholic charities. Uh, Stick around, don't go anywhere, we'll be back. All right.
now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We're back, Jesus 911. Second segment, we'll be talking to some, you're going to be listening to some, some clips of some liberals <laughs> that uh, just went off the rail. It, yeah, we, we Mr. Engine, yeah. The, put on, go ahead and, uh, the first clip is a malformed modernist priest. This is precisely the problem we have in the church right now because there's many people like this priest, and uh, he speaks for many malformed clergy. It's only 56 seconds. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? Usually wouldn't be very happy about it, and usually the community would be disinterested in it. or wouldn't feel they were supporting them or whatever. So it's very much the wind on, on the face of anybody now who's making a decision to become a priest is really running counter to the culture of the day. In terms of the young priests, I mean, part of the difficulty we have is that we have very few vocations to the priesthood. But part of the other difficulty we have is that the vocations we're getting are like the people, are like my parish priest in the 40s and the 50s at home. They're traditional. They want to wear black. They want to wear soutans. They want to talk to people about sin. Yeah. They want the Latin mass. And they want to dress up investments. And they want to do all of this sort of thing. Like people did 40, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. So I, I, I despair of the young priests. I'd prefer if we hadn't got them. Wow. <laughs> His name is Father Brendan Holban. He's, he's an influential priest in the, in, in the Irish Synod. He's from Ireland. He's an Irish priest. Ruben, this is not atypical. This is almost, I would have to say, the norm uh, that you see today post-Vatican II, uh, especially when the, in the older generation. People like 70 and older, this is the way they feel about tradition, and this is the way they feel about uh, the Latin Mass mm-hmm. and uh, about anything before the Council. They can't even fathom that young people want <laughs> to have the Mass. And like I said, it because it challenges them, it makes them uncomfortable, and it, it help, you know they want people want to grow. They and uh, they just don't want this feel good uh, thing. I mean, you we, we heard it. I know you probably already heard that that actor Shea LaBeouf, uh yes, converted to Catholicism, and he. And the interview with uh, Bishop Barron. Bishop Barron, he he said that it was the Latin Mass that brought him to. The, and Bishop Barron was trying to steer the conversation <laughs> away from that. You know, well, why? You know, get. And he says the guitar masses feels like you're you're they're trying, you're to, trying sell to sell you something. me something. Yeah, that was hilarious, Ruben. I'm saying Bishop Barron just looking at him like, yeah. but he couldn't believe what he's saying. The only credit I give Bishop Barron is that he played the full clip. This interview, you know, he let it go. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh. We want to play another clip of a of a malformed lay Catholic, who's uh, this guy's. I guess he worked for Catholic Charities. He's uh, one of CEO CEO Jesse, top of the food chain for Catholic Charities. Yeah, Ruben's got a mouthful to share with you about Catholic Charities. But Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? Our primary job at Catholic Charities is to be His an authentic Catholic voice on Bob from Catholic Charities while we serve the poor and vulnerable. Being an authentic voice sometimes means saying things that might be hard to say and hard to hear. When it comes to the topic of racism, I need to speak from the heart as a human being, speak as a Catholic, and speak as the CEO of Catholic Charities. Watching what has unfolded and listening to the voices of the marginalized since the death of George Floyd has changed me in a way that is likely long overdue. Oh, bro. <laughs> it has made me realize some important things about my own life that maybe I always knew, but never truly embraced with enough blunt truth. 
I am a racist. God. <laughs> yes, you That's are. the hard truth. I am a racist. How could I not be? As a white person living in America, where every institution is geared to advantage people who look like me, it's seemingly impossible for me to be anything other than a racist. I know that I have routine bias, even if it is unconscious bias, as we all do. But I also believe that my bias is dangerously different. This my bias, the bias of white people, supports and feeds into powerfully racist systems in our country. As a Catholic who believes in reconciliation, I must own my part in that and treat it like any other sin. I must know it, name it, speak it, ask for forgiveness for it while trying to eliminate it from my life. For me, as a white person, saying I'm not a racist is like saying a fish is not wet. In America, racism is no longer a question, but rather it's the toxic water in which we all swim. We are all treading water in this shortcoming, whether we want to know it or not. My Catholic Church and my Catholic Charities organization is racist. How could they not be? Wow. Our Catholic faith tradition was built on the premise that a baby born in a manger in the Middle East was a white baby. So how can we be surprised to know that we are a church that must still fight against racism even now? The Catholic Church in the United States has its own long, terrible history of owning slaves, staying silent about others who did the same, running Indian schools, and being part of the institutionalization of racism. We can't avoid that reality until we speak it and ask for forgiveness with a love that takes action to repair. Our own Catholic Charities organization that does so much good and fights for so much justice still has also been unknowingly part of the institutionalization of racism. Here at Catholic Charities, we have a staff, a leadership team, and a board that is mostly white, even though those we serve are often disproportionately people of color. We need to be better than that. We at Catholic Charities, even in our love for serving others, are still, at the same time, part of the problem. Unbelievable. This guy's name is Bob from, he's the CEO of Catholic Charities. He's a woke, liberal Catholic. And as you can see, Ruben, when you hear these guys talk, it's very sad because these, these liberal woke Catholics, their pursuit of salvation has been replaced by social justice. Yep. He lost me at the death of George Floyd. That's (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, Jesse, this guy is all into CRT, you know, critical race theory. Uh, you know, he doesn't realize what his faith teaches that w- Jesus commands us to love everybody, you know, re- regardless of, of their, you know, their color, their skin. Exactly. Um, yeah. In fa- yeah. In fact, uh, I mean, that's right. Embedded in the new Testament, you know, there is no, uh, there is no, uh, male nor female slave nor free man, uh, Gentile or Jew. We are all one in Christ Jesus. It was really Christianity, Catholic Christianity. Let's just be honest that's uh that's that's given the world uh any unifying force when you go to mass in many places around the world especially as a tourist you'll see people from every single stripe and nation on planet earth all praying to the same one tune triune god it's really ruben only catholicism that is the answer to to the division caused by adam and eve right that's right and and this guy needs to be fired he he 
He's saying that, imagine that every, uh, it's impossible for white people to not be racist. You know, that's, uh, that's yeah. generalizing. That's way, yeah. he's gone way overboard. Anyway. Right. That, that, that's called the error of overgeneralization. That's in philosophy. That's he would get in a speech and debate class. They would, they would gig him on that. Mm-hmm. That's called overgeneralization. That's a thinking error when in speech and debate, when people just brought a, a paint everybody an entire class of people at the same broad brush mm, that's right hey so jesse i sent you an article on uh it's written uh about 20 years ago but it's it's still holds it's, it's relevant today. right yeah and, and with this it's it's just saying that catholic charities law has lost its soul um you know it used to be a a, a good organization but uh it, it's no longer catholic for one thing and um it, so it used to be a, a model to emulate and getting the poor into the mainstream by emphasizing moral values and ethical conduct. But but no, rather than trying to promote a traditional values and God-fearing behavior, Catholic charities, uh, they've become, over the last three decades, an arm of the welfare state with 65% of its $2.3 billion annual budget now flowing from government sources. That little is explicitly religious or even values-laden about most of the services. It's 1,400 member agencies and 46,000 paid employees provide. So that just tells you right there, they're, they're, they have a, getting handouts from government sources. So naturally they have to, uh, they have to acquiesce to the government's yeah. belief system or the, the money's going to stop flowing. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, in, you know, just unconscionable what, what these people are doing. Um, it's one of the nation's most powerful advocates for outworn welfare state ideas, especially the idea that social and economic forces over which the individual has no control rather than his own attitudes and behavior are the reason for poverty. So they want people to have this victim mentality. Oh, it was me because everything around me, like that guy was saying, where they're all, they're all racist, you know, so there's no way I can <laughs> prosper in this, this, uh, in this world. And uh, all I could say is, you know, Bob, speak for yourself. Speak yeah. as an individual. You don't speak for the rest of the church. Can you imagine how many, Reuben, good, holy, Catholic, Caucasian brothers and sisters were insulted when they heard him? It, it would be like if somebody from the cartel said, "All of us Mexicans are womanizers." I would. All of us Mexicans, we we we, you know, we worship less. I would be insulted. Mm-hmm. What this guy Bob did, Reuben. He insulted half of uh, Caucasian Catholics in this country who are normal, who are orthodox, who are traditional, who are patriotic, and don't have a, 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 a racist bone, a racist bone in their body. I mean, this guy, this guy was just basically talking about what's in his own heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He was just giving <laughs> us a, a confession right there. Yeah. Okay, Bob. Cool. Go to go to a priest and and and, and confess that to a priest. I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So, Jesse, back in the 60s in New yeah. York, there was a, a tireless philanthropic efforts by the, these Catholic leaders like Archbishop John Hughes during the second half of the 19th century. So he, he uplifted, uplifted Gotham's immigrant Irish at the time, the America's first underclass, that by the turn of the 20th century, most of them were mainstream American citizens. He recognized that though some of the poor were victims of circumstances, many were poor because of self-destructive behavior, sinful mm. behavior. As like he, right now, Ruben, nothing's changed. As he had no hesitation in calling it. The goal of charity to such people was to change their values and beliefs and what has more powerful in working such a transformation than religion. It gives the needy a set of authoritative do's and don'ts, stresses the importance of personal responsibility and overcoming 
of personal failings offers membership in a meaning-rich community, requires responsibility to family, and forgives past transgressions if one makes a fresh start. It's it's you, so you just can't you just yeah. can't hand money out there and and it's and just let them think that it's because the system's broken that uh, you know this is how you ended up on um, on the streets. Right. You end up on the streets because you're you're shoving. St- white powder up your nose and, uh, and drinking uh, 40 ounce uh, beers and <laughs> yeah, bad decisions, Ruben, bad choices yeah. uh, following a life of vice and not virtue uh, puts a lot of people in the situation where they're at right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, is, it doesn't mean that God can't forgive them and they can't change their ways, but it takes an act of the will and uh, throwing money at the problem. Well, you know, while I was in Hawaii, Ruben, you wouldn't believe people say, Oh, Hawaii, beautiful island. Yeah, it's beautiful. They got a huge homeless problem. Mm. Uh, all along the beaches, they, there's little you know makeshift houses, yeah. and uh, drug addicts just walking up and down the beaches all along the coast of Hawaii. Why? Well, well the weather's pretty good. You know, they have parks and public restrooms. You can actually live out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and survive. And then they have all these social justice programs where they feed them. Uh, and so, yeah, they've got a huge homeless and drug problem now. Uh, and again, that's a personal choice. We'll be right back talking about. Catholic charities and some of the things that uh, most people didn't know about them. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we're back. Two-man car, Jesse and Ruben and Hey Ruben, I got a funny text <laughs> from our engineer. Mm. <laughs> uh if you saw Bob on the video, he's he looks like he hasn't missed a meal in 60 years. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, he looks he looks pretty stout, should we say? He looks pretty portly. How <laughs> the, racist of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, our engineer said, maybe this <clears throat> uh, FAT, this fat guy should donate half the food he, he stuffs he stuffs his face to the poor. Boy, good take. Hey, you got you got to be able to laugh. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, we can't be so serious all the time. That was funny. Okay, okay. I, I thought it was funny. It okay. was. <laughs> Let, let's uh, hey, let's continue talking about uh, some of the things about Catholic charities that we that a lot of Catholics don't know about. Ruben found a good article. It says, but the understanding of poverty is often inseparable from moral and cultural considerations disintegrated in the late 1960s. Swept up in the decade's tumult and encouraged by the modernizing spirit of the Second Vatican Council, Catholic Charities rejected its long-standing emphasis on personal responsibility, there it is, Mm -hmm. and self-reliance, and began to blame capitalist society rather than individual behavior for poverty and crime. Ooh, that nailed it, that sentence. Mm -hmm. It now looked to the welfare state to solve all social problems. A chief apologist for a catastrophically destructive welfare system, and it stands in the way of developing alternatives to help people break out of dependency and take charge of their lives. By the way, welfare was given to us by Lyndon B. Johnson in the 60s, who was a Democrat. Mm. Catholic Charities first announced its politicization in a wild-eyed manifesto that invokes such radical 60s icons as Malcolm X, Gloria Steinem, Herbert Marcus, and above all, the Marxist-inspired liberation theology movement that, to put it crudely, 
equates our Lord Jesus Christ with Che Guevara. Ratified at Catholic Charities Annual Meeting in 1972, the so-called cadre study totally abandoned any stress on personal responsibility in relation to poverty and other social ills. Instead, it painted America as an unjust, numb country whose oppressive society and closed economy caused people to turn to crime or drugs or prostitution. This radical shift in thinking had two practical consequences. First, Catholic Charities moved away from just charity towards a stress on government solutions to every social problem, making political advocacy a key mission. Ruben, and that's where we're at right now in the present modern-day church. There's the nexus between the Democrat Party and the USCCB through Catholic Charities, yep. and it's an incestuous relationship, Ruben. Go ahead. Amen. And, and, and uh, yeah, so they don't want smaller government. They want bigger government. And at the same time, as the war on poverty got underway, the federal government increasingly con- contracted with Catholic Charities agencies to provide welfare services. Those agencies imbued with their new faith in government's potential to solve social problems eagerly accepted government money. Catholic Charities received nearly a quarter of its funding from government by the end of the 60s, over half by the late 70s, and more than 60% by the mid-80s where it has remained ever since. As they became a government contractors, the agencies began to serve more non-Catholics and to hire non-Catholics, too, usually professional social workers with ardent faith in the welfare state. So under its pugnacious current president, Jesuit Fred Kramer, a lawyer who attended Yale Law and with Bill Clinton, an author of Doing Faith Justice, a widely used textbook that gives a leftist twist to Catholic social thought, the organization has expanded and professionalized its advocacy work. Um, so they assemble a legislative agenda, lobby Congress and White House, and and through weekly advo, advo faxes alerts member agencies and subscribers to impending federal and state legislation on social policy. But as Marvin Walaski, author of The Tragedy of American Compassion, an influential book on charity, remarks, this isn't charity at all. When you take away dollars that you could spend helping people and spend them on lobbying, you're robbing the poor to give to the lobbyists. Yeah. Ruben, this, uh, what we're seeing here, uh, th- this is the infiltration of the Catholic faith by the political left. And, I, and it's embarrassing, but the, but the political left and the Catholic left, they're joined at the hip. They work together. Yeah. It, it, it go, the article goes on to say, Finally, Catholic Charities tirelessly argues that racism is a root cause of the economic and social oppression in our society. As, uh, as uh, Mr. Bob, uh, <laughs> the guy that's uh, never missed a meal, as he was saying in that little video. <clears throat> as Vision 2000, a key recent policy paper, asserts, Speaking to me in his cluttered Alexandria office, Kammer explains, quote, Racism remains at the heart of the social question in America, and as a Southerner, I really believe that. Close quote. He has installed a trendy diversity officer at the national headquarters to keep race front and center in the organization's activities. The unrealistic view of race distorts the whole organization's thinking about black crime. Catholic Charities lobbies hard in favor of requirements that force states to provide detailed explanations for why so many blacks are behind bars the presumption being that racism is to blame. Catholic Charities believes that if if black 10 to 17-year-olds are only 15% of the population, 
but 26% of all juveniles arrested and 46% of all juveniles doing time, this is prima facie evidence of racism. But if black youths have, as they do, a far higher rate of criminal activity than white kids, why would anyone expect them not to be arrested and convicted at a higher rate? Amen. The, the answer is very simple. is because most black kids or more black kids, 70, 74% don't have a father at home. This is why they have a higher crime rate because no father, there's no discipline, there's no mentoring, there's no counseling, uh, there's no wise counsel. Uh, they're missing all of that, especially when mom is working two jobs to try to support these kids. Mm-hmm. At bottom, Catholic Charities appears to, uh, appears to suspect that for, for black kids, crime is somehow justified. Cameron, writing in 1996, asserts, if young, if young men turn to crack and crime because there are no jobs and no hopes, then you and I have become addicted with them. In other words, in an unjust racist society, poor kids have no recourse but to rob and, and do dope. That's not true, Ruben. No. That, that, that's a false statement. Uh, I, I don't know anybody that grew poor than my wife and myself. Uh, <laughs> And my wife's never committed a crime. I don't have any criminals in my family, my immediate brother, and neither does she in her immediate family. She's got a large family as, as well, by the way. That's just an untrue statement. It's people that have never grown up poor, they make stupid statements like this. Mm-hmm. It says, but doesn't this only justify thuggery and self-destruction? Exactly the message the inner city kids don't need to hear. Right. And and you look at what's going on in rampant uh, robberies and, you know, uh, smashing grabs all over the country. Uh, you know, not too far from my house at uh, one of the malls, it was smashing grabs. Uh, just you know, with with, in, with with impunity, they just they they know they can get away with it, and they just going out and taking other people's property. And um, these community organizers organizing efforts use their textbook, one of the classes classics of extreme left wing literature, Saul Alinsky's 1947 reveal for radicals. Um, in Alinsky's far-left vision promoted by his quasi-Marxist industrial areas foundation, the organizer aims to get his followers to accumulate power for militant ends. Um, so Catholic Cherries, just going to wrap it up. Catholic Cherries would have found none of the surprising 70 years ago, none of this surprising 70 years ago. Many of today's Catholic charity agencies pay little attention to the power of faith to transform lives. Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum, he's a, a devout Catholic, sparked a fierce con- controversy in 1996 when he rebuked Catholic charities for drifting away from the faith under the pressure of government funding. Santorum told of a priest he knows who began a psychology internship at a Catholic charities clinic. The clinic supervisor tested him on, on three hypothetical counseling situations. A depressed pregnant woman who wants to abort her child, two homosexuals seeking advice on their relationship, and a divorcing couple asking for counseling. In keeping with Catholic teachings, the priest advised against the abortion. This is what Santorum is saying. The priest advised against the abortion, refused to endorse homosexual unions, and encouraged the divorcing couple to save their marriage. He failed the test. His supervisor explained, we get government funds, so we are not Catholic. Wow. Jeez. Catholic Charities in San Francisco to keep its city contracts now complies with local law extending spousal benefits to unmarried heterosexuals and homosexual live-in partners. Catholic Charities in Oakland, California recently ran programs that encourage public social science instructors to discuss in a favorable light same-sex marriage, gays in the military, and family diversity starting in the first grade. All I could say, Reuben, uh, as our Lord Jesus Christ and the prophets say, woe to those bishops 
that are allowing this to happen in their diocese right under their noses. Woe to them. The word woe, by the way, is a Hebrew word. It means a covenant curse be on you. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, there's a there, there's another sort of Catholic charity, but it's it, it very different. And it's, uh, Sister Connie Driscoll celebrated St. Martin's Deporous House of Hope in Chicago's blighted Woodlawn neighborhood. Since 1983, Driscoll has provided shelter and counsel to more than 11,000 homeless women, many with illegitimate kids, and most of them substance abusers. When they first come to her, Driscoll takes no government money to avoid having to tone down her moral message of responsibility and work. She puts wow. her charges to work. She puts her charges to work around the house from the moment they arrive to start building the message that they're responsible for their own fate. Their days are filled with alcoholics and narcotics anonymous meetings, GED classes, computer training, and constant moral instruction in the dangers of illegitimacy and irresponsible sexual behavior. No men may visit. If the young women don't wow. follow her rules, she kicks them out. We feel that if people aren't willing to help themselves take a step forward and become responsible for their own actions, she informs me there's not much we can do to help them. Though, though Driscoll doesn't directly evangelize, our purpose is to allow people to see the faith that moves us and let it guide their lives, she says. Her, her house of hope is in every way an exemplary Catholic charity. Her success speaks for itself. Almost all the women overcome their addictions only 5% return to shelters. So that's how it's done, Jesse. You know, you, you, personal responsibility. And um, she, they're seeing her actions. They're seeing, she's like a Mother Teresa, to, you yes. know, going out there. And that, that changes lives. So God bless Sister Driscoll. We'll, hey, we'll finish up. There's a few more comments we'll make on this topic. And then we want to talk about chastity and charity, the shield and sword of manhood. Stick around. We'll be back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. Jesus 911, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Talking about Catholic charities, we're going to wrap up that, that article. And uh, it just shows you the how, how far the Catholic charities has fallen. And uh, it's, it's just Catholic in name only. And uh, we need to defund it <laughs> and don't give to them. Find other organizations like the one I just mentioned, uh, uh, Driscoll, Sister uh, Connie Driscoll's house, Martin DePore's House of Hope in Chicago. And there's others. Um, I'm not trying to paint the same, paint everything with the same brush, but uh, this, this one is already woke. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Catholic Charities also ignores Pope John Paul II's warnings about the dangers of social assistance state. Uh, the welfare system that proliferates upon the ruins of subsidiarity. By intervening directly and robbing society of its responsibility, the Pope warns in a 1991 encyclical, the social assistance state leads to a loss of human energies and multiplies public agencies that treat people like numbers and squander money uh, to no good end. That's a powerful statement that, you, that, uh, that made in that article by John Paul II. That's a very, very powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people might think that there's enough social welfare, socialism in the United States. The bishops tell me we, in fact, need more, not less government. And uh, that's the problem, Ruben, is more government. Mm -hmm. Father Richard Newhouse, rest in peace, says, uh, Who would greatly benefit by programs aimed, aimed not simply at delivering services, but transforming lives? Mm -hmm. 
That's the whole key. Catholicism exists to save souls, not necessarily just to feed bellies. And the article ends, as for Catholic Charities itself, unless it changes its vision, embracing subsidiarity, following examples, examples like Sister Connie Driscoll's, and abandoning its illusion that America is an unjust racist country, charitable choice won't make a bit of difference for it or for those it serves. Well-written article. Ruben, I just want to make one comment about the uh, Mr. Bob, the, the guy that uh, never has never missed a meal, <laughs> said that Catholicism uh, was was involved in, well, he already said it was racist, mm-hmm. and they were involved in slavery or something like that, he mentioned. Something about slavery and Catholicism. Yeah. <clears throat> I could tell you this, that, um, yeah, Abraham Lincoln gave us uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, which started chiseling away against slavery right. in this country back in uh, August 1862. Well, guess what? You already had popes writing 300 years before Abraham Lincoln writing against slavery. You have, for example, uh, you have uh, Pope Paul III in 1537. He issued a royal proclamation which per- forbade Catholics from owning slaves. Also, Pope Innocent XI, who died in 1689. He also proclaimed and taught that Catholics were not permitted and to buy slaves. And if you want to go a little further back than that, St. Patrick of Ireland, who lived in the 4th century, 1,600 years ago, he wrote to the Irish Catholics at the time, Catholics cannot own slaves. So I don't know what this guy's talking about, Ruben, but we've been way ahead of the curb. I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation was written in 1862 of August by Abraham Lincoln. And uh, the Catholic Church was decades, I mean, centuries and centuries before Abraham Lincoln. The church was already putting things out that you can't own slaves as a Catholic. And then finally, the last thing I'll mention is a lot of people don't realize that in the early 20th century, the Knights of Columbus, they took a lead in promoting racial equality here in this country. In 1924, the Jim Crow laws that were given to us by the Democrats, they were still in force in many parts of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther King Jr., well, he wasn't born yet, and the height of the civil rights movement would not come for another 40 years. Nonetheless, it was at this time, 1924, even before Martin Luther King Jr. was born, the Knights of Columbus commissioned and published a book entitled, quote, The Gift of Black Folks, The Negroes in the Making of America. So this was a a book talking about the great contributions of blacks during the time of Jim Crow, before the Civil Rights Movement. The Catholic Knights of Columbus were already telling Americans, hey, uh, uh, our, our, our black brothers have contributed so many good things to America. In other words, the Knights were already trying to promote racial equality way before the Civil Rights Movement. That's all I wanted to say. Good stuff, Jesse. That's yeah. that's information that people don't even see. They don't hear that stuff, so that's great you put it. Well, Bob didn't know about it for sure. <laughs> no way. <laughs> He's busy stuffing his face. That's yeah. why. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Uh, right. Chastity and Charity, the Shield and Sword of Manhood. Um, good article by Derek Roddy. Um he says there's a scene near the middle of Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, in which Frodo Baggins volunteers to carry the last and most powerful ring to Mount Doom in order to destroy it because he does not know the way. Because he is small of stature, he admits that he will re- it will require help. 
The most powerful moment in that scene is when Aragorn says to Frodo, if by my life or by my death, I can protect you, I will. You have my sword. Really what Aragorn means is that he offers all of himself and his skill in service of the mission. So in our world today, there's a little, there's a battle for truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm -hmm. The enemy seeks to deprive humans of access to any of these by twisting their understanding of the transcendental realities God, in his infinite wisdom and love, wants and needs men who are willing to fight for truth, goodness, and beauty, who are able to protect and provide for others, who are willing to lead and build up others, even amid difficult circumstances. He does not have a desire or use for those who use and abuse others, those who think only of themselves and tear down others. God wants warriors, not weasels. (laughs) Many men in our world today have a false understanding of masculinity, manhood, I know because I spent large portions of my life operating by such false conceptions, which caused a lot of emotional, spiritual damage and baggage. It took me a long time to learn that manhood is not about popularity, athletic prowess, or money. Neither is masculinity about making oneself feel bigger by putting uh, down others. Rather, manhood is about kneeling down in service and helping others reach their fullest potential. Real masculinity is about becoming smaller so another person can become bigger. Wow, that's that's good stuff. And then it ju- he said, talks about the two primary virtues of a man. And this is the area where the devil attacks men. Chastity and chari- charity are the two primary virtues that aid members of the male species in becoming real men. These two enable a man to possess himself and then to give himself away for the good of another. Self-possession, which we could define as chastity, must precede self-gift, which we call charity. The latter will not be possible or effective without the former. Men must have control of themselves and their faculties in order to give them away for the greater glory. That's a powerful statement. I'll tell you, Ruben, you know, out in California, which is the largest state in the country, you have more men locked up in prisons in California than any, uh, anywhere else just by the fact that there's more people that live in California. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, <clears throat> uh, those men that are locked up in prison right now, 95% of those men, they committed the, their crime uh, because they didn't possess these two virtues. They didn't possess the virtue of chastity, which means self-possession, self-control. And they didn't possess the virtue of uh, charity, which means making your gift to another. Uh, most of these guys, what they ended up doing, they follow their disordered passions, their disordered appetites, which uh, which basically always say, "Me, myself, and I." Right. Uh, you know, uh, if it feels good, do it. Only the strong survive. That's what a man that doesn't know his faith, he will follow his passions. And he'll put himself at the center, as the center of the universe, instead of putting Jesus Christ at the center of his life. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It says, think back to my example of the Lord of the Rings. In order for Aragorn to offer his sword effectively, he must know how to wield it to fight off enemies. A swordman who keeps his weapon in in the scabbard or does not know the skills of sword fighting will be useless against an enemy. Further, Aragorn used a shield throughout the journey to defend himself. This is how the virtues of chastity and charity aid men. Chastity, the Catechism says, let us love with an upright and undivided heart. In 2520, the Catechism. A man is not a man of integrity if his heart is not upright or if it is divided. 
A man does not fully possess himself if he seeks lowly things like worldly pleasures, power, and money. A man's heart is divided if he seeks these things before he seeks God's will. Reuben? The virtue of charity flows easily from chastity. When a man's heart is upright and undivided, he can begin to love as God intends love to be. God intends love to be four things, free, faithful, total, fruitful. True love requires all of these characteristics. An act that does not carry these four qualities is not real charity. I'll I'll read those again. Free, faithful, total, and fruitful. Mm -hmm. A man cannot love anyone, his friends or co-workers, and especially his spouse, if his heart is divided. A divided heart will cause him to withhold his gifts, his body, his mind, his resources from those who need him. He begins to focus on himself, and he easily becomes enslaved to his physical and emotional passions. His actions of giving become conditional, not free, temporary, not faithful, partial, not total, and sterile, not fruitful. Hmm. Men must be transformed into chaste and charitable warriors. Women need men to be holy warriors to protect their beauty and dignity. Families need men, husbands and fathers and brothers, to be holy warriors so that families can flourish and produce good spiritual fruit. The church needs men, priests and laymen, to be holy warriors so that she can be effective in her mission during the next generation. The world needs men to be holy warriors to counterbalance the negative effects of pride, greed, and lust that we all see around us. We must answer the clarion call and be transformed into real men. And In In order to be transformed, Mm -hmm. in that way, men must kneel down. First, we must kneel down before Christ in the Eucharist, and we must tell him, If by my life or by my death I can serve you, you have my body, mind, spirit, resources, everything. Then we must kneel down before others, beginning with our families and spreading outward to all levels of society. We must tell them in the same way that we tell Christ, I offer, I offer everything to you if I, if, if I can serve you. That will be the only way men can fulfill St. Paul's command to love as Christ loved the church in Ephesians 5.25. Men must die to themselves and focus on serving others so that the church might be found in all splendor without spot or, or, actually should say, or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish, Ephesians 5.25, when Christ returns. It is up to us, gentlemen, and along the way we need the intercession of the perfect woman, our blessed mother, that we might respond to the call, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary. Ruben. Amen. That's that's an article that uh, every man needs to read because this is this is what we're here for, guys. Yes. You know, we're not here to uh, just... You know, just get along to go along to get along. We have to be leaders. We have to be real men, and that means we have to be warriors, willing to to, to die for our for our loved ones. Yes. You've been listening to Jesus nine one one. Up next, the big guy, Gary Mashuda from the Midwest Command Center. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you like what you hear, share it with others, and we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Keep the faith.